Hello and welcome back to Voicecraft. This is a conversation with members of the Voicecraft network, which isn't a simple place to introduce. It's a well-held port in the storm of culture and an online and offline portal for the strengthening of voice and the building of wiser contexts for interaction, among much else. We're about to jump right into a seven-person Voicecraft session with some voices listeners have heard before, including OG Rose and Tyler. As well as others, you may not have regular contributors to the network, Ethan, Journey, Kyle, and Tom. Now, I would have included their last names, but I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce Kyle's, so apologies. <laughs> this was a wonderful conversation to be part of that draws to a close of quite deep integration. I begin with a 10-minute open, for which I invite you to drop into a slower mode of listening. I do think that's helpful. I believe you might just be rewarded for doing so, and so I hope you enjoy this Voicecraft Network contribution. Okay, here we go. Hello everyone, and hello to everybody tuning in, wherever you are, in whatever context you meet us here. This dialogue has been invited and titled Naming the Nameless. And it's going to take a little bit of time to introduce what that means. And in some sense, I myself am seeking clarity about what that means, how to hold that and how to relate to it over the course of this dialogue. And so in some sense, this is all one long introduction. Or perhaps not. And I have said as well that this conversation is one which must continue. And so there's no sense of final completion sought here with respect. This is not an effort to name the nameless precisely. And yet, nevertheless, even in uh, stating that there's an interest in that subject matter, there is now some mimetic symbol. There's a sign here that we're sort of gathering around. And in some sense, the sin has already been committed. And therein lies some of the paradox of all of this. But I should say that initially this session was invited before the recent conflict in Ukraine stepped up, uh, while many notches of severity. And in the context of voicecraft conversations and the manner in which we gather and meet each other, the imminence of what matters and the energetic realities and potentials of being here are always relevant and are always touching what is and and therefore color the interactions we have together and so there's a sense in which there might be lots to say today and express about the world and how we find ourselves in it, which diverts this session at least a little bit away from some of its more explicit framing. And perhaps that's entirely appropriate, even given the nature of the invited session itself. So what I will do is read out just a little bit of the invitation that was made and we'll see how that comes across in now verbal form so here we go 
Over some years, I have watched as developing fields of intention, understanding and interaction, or said from another angle, hopes, dreams and concerns, have clustered together in digital space and time. And uh, if you'll indulge the following, from psychedelic fractal ayahuascic dimension shifting tribal vibing metavisions of new enlightenment bed making responsibilities to the renaissance of dark webs and deep webs and spider webs and web threes and religions that aren't religions for the spirituals without religions plus some religions and new games with old impulses in new clothes and new impulses with no money then some bildung for the metacrisis nurturing homegrown humans and liminal sense makers to authentically circle with antagonic shamanistic intellectuals, while Dialogos makes Socratic music from indigenous adjacent technologist integrals, playing warmly with post institutional relationists to reconnect the masculine and the feminine. And all of that on the way to the para academic invisible college built on wiser pathways from digital ports through uncanny valleys of friendship and peerage just so that we can have adventures, dinner and families, and drama worth having, with laughter and tension in contexts that matter, and that we matter to, in openness to process with what is, and what could be, tongue-in-cheek, without claiming at all to make sense. If you are here in this network, chances are you pay attention to several different communities, podcasts, YouTubers, discourse pockets, sense-making webs of liminality, populated by seen and unseen, change-making edgelords in the void of integrity in the heart of unspoken society in a polarizing war of attritional addiction in a post-death of god world without rituals for death and therefore in the wake just a bunch of undead gods of ideology and inhabitable narrative some lots of people were all like can we coordinate somewhere to talk about this And I'll stop there. There was a little bit more. So it's altogether a bit sort of comical for how my being is. I was saying before we started recording that I've spent the last days writing about war and influence. And so perhaps where I'll end and open into discussion is to point out that dearth, that gap, some of that distance, perhaps even that void of expression that may be here for some of us. Those words and that meaning which has not yet been said and cobbled together, which can connect some of the areas of our sense and understanding and care. On the one hand, we meet in a digital context, seeking to call out where we are so that we might find others to do meaningful things with, but basically. And then we do so in a context where very real, even if deeply absurd, patterns of action and causation and change in the world kinetically and mimetically propagate 
and disrupt in the most tragic and serious of ways the land and informational context we coordinate on. And so, for my part, in some sense, the deeper spiritual, perhaps religious, maybe prefer the word sacred aspect of this invited conversation takes on just as profound a significance as when I sat down to write. And that is, I think in this time, to tread with intention and to tread with some mixture of lightness but also surety of step in the process of naming just who we are and what we're doing and naming the various narratives and dedications and values that we care about for if we're a bit heavy-handed all of a sudden we can find ourselves cut off from the whole of what matters in some very important sense. So I was curious about how I'd open that. I feel as though I've only just scratched the surface of why this matters to me. And it's a real pleasure to be here with you all. This is going to be an open conversation and we've shared many of these together. The protocol in general that seems to be particularly helpful in contexts where there's seven people, and I say this for the benefit more so of those listening, is to listen first before speaking and to sense when that moment is to step in and share. And in that way, with an intention also to cultivating a generative context for the whole of this interaction to presence and move sense and understanding into forms hopefully more nutritious and beautiful to behold and in that way connect what is among us to be connected between us and perhaps also out to the world so with that said i will stop thank you all for indulging me in that introduction i'll leave a space for the clearing and just leave with the question why was this invitation and why is this topic interesting important relevant to us having that laid out will be i think an important place to begin. So thank you all very much. I can say something really briefly about that question, Tim. I think it's a great question. I mentioned before we started recording, you know, in the check-in that I experienced like a strange, pretty intense heaviness all day throughout my whole body. And right before this call, like five minutes before this call, I walked out of the bathroom and Ethan was sitting on the couch and like Ethan mentioned, like I hadn't talked to him about this, you know, at all, all during the day, hadn't had a chance to. And 
yet kind of spontaneously got up and was like, you know, can, can I have a hug? Can I have a Kyle hug? And yeah, there was, it was that, like there was something in that moment, like in that hug, like that, the feeling of that and just the act of it was balancing. It kind of balanced the heaviness in me. And there was a, it felt connected to this notion of the nameless in some way. And so in terms of like what, in mattering and and what matters, I think that's related to why I'm so interested in exploring this with you guys. The intention, which would steer us away from heavy-handedness, feels like whatever quality a Kyle hug has, or it's a full-bodied light-handedness and a willingness to grasp the not-yet-born in a way that it won't. that it'll have the chance to gestate. And yet, it does need to be held with some firmness in order to give it substantiality and this tension of what's going on there is likewise why I'm here. Um, With your introduction, Tim, the mishmashing of mimetic tribes into uh, that introduction. The reason it's so funny is because it's so apparent how, how difficult it is to properly synthesize them. And given the extreme proliferation enabled by the digital realm, it would be nice to get a grasp, but not to do so tyrannically. So um, I'm here for those reasons and for the equivalent of a Kyle hug. I think that's great, by the way. That's, yeah. (laughs) Well, I am going to ask... Daniel, Mr. G to the OG, Rose. And it's a bit unfair of me, almost, because you're here patiently listening. But it just feels like to me there's something of the particular um, frequency and depth that you bring to your articulations that would serve very well early on in this conversation. You were expressing before we began about the some of the uh, the tension associated with naming the nameless, and I'm wondering if there's anything there you'd like to re-say for us, and perhaps how you're after hearing this now being introduced, how you're feeling about stepping into this conversation. 
it's always wonderful to speak with you. Wonderful people. Uh, and this is an important topic. Um, you know, you were mentioning the hug. Uh, we took a walk down to the, the creek this afternoon. And do you really know what that means? You know, I've just labeled it. I've just given you words for an experience of walking down to the creek. And yet, you know, you don't feel the sunlight. You don't see the trees on the horizon. You don't feel the, the grass in the field. And, and yet it gives you a sense of knowing what happened this afternoon. Uh, but, but it also doesn't. You know, words always have this double funny thing to them, right? Uh, where I feel like I have a hold on that memory, right? That's nice. It's nice to have words to have a hold on the memory. It's nice to have words to be able to tell you that I took a walk down to the creek with Grace and Michelle and Reed and Haven. And he brought his little book with his uh, wild, wild plants that he was going to look for and figure out what to eat. And lo and behold, he was convinced that there were some of these flowers that he could eat. And we're like, no, you can't. He's like, but if I boil them enough, I'm sure we'll be fine. He's like, no, we're not going. No, you're not going to eat the wild plants. We'll get strawberries. Uh, there's a black, there's actually a blackberry bush over at the, the neighboring farm. But there's always something about, about words, right? There are these kind of approximations, maps are not the territories. And yet without them, that, that seems to be a problem. Because then if you kind of wanted to know me, you're like, hey, Daniel, who are you? What'd you do today? Would, would it really be better if I could only stare at you in silence? Would that silence really communicate much? You know, even if all I can do is give you crumbs or give you approximations, isn't it better to receive approximations than not? Ah, but it would depend, right? It depends on what we're saying. It depends on what the listener does with it. If you take my approximations and feel like you really know what it means to walk down to the, the creek, if you really know the experience and you really know me, in a sense, you know the afternoon, well, that would be a problem because you don't, you're dealing with abstractions, right? But there would also be a problem if I sat here and said, well, the words don't capture the experience, so I'm not going to tell them. Well, then there can be no relationship. You know, if I'm going to tell you about my day because I'm like, well, they don't they don't fit. Well, then there can't be a relationship. So we're always navigating in this very strange space where we want to um, connect, which re which requires some level of communication. And yet the communication cannot ideas cannot be experiences. Words cannot be the things. But there is this weird tension because in the act of sharing, if you feel like um, you don't share the walk down to the creek adequately, it almost feels like a trespass, a sort of sullying, a sort of miss. You're, you're not doing it the honor that it deserves, right? But not all of us, I, you know, I haven't figured out how to write the four quartets by T.S. Eliot yet or to capture the grandeur of some of Wallace Stevens or something. So I can just tell you, we walked down to the creek in order to really capture it. I could, you know, maybe sit down for 45 minutes, but you know, be difficult to remember all that. Uh, so, you know, so there's a kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, doesn't do it. But then at the same time, am I, because I don't want to fail, is, is it, is, am I going to sit here and not say anything? Cause I'm afraid, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to really capture it. So I'm not going to say anything. Well, then there's no relationship, right? There's no community. So how do you navigate this space? And also now let's add the internet and let's add times a thousand where all of this communicated, all of this information and that feeling of just not even able to capture fully the walking down to the Creek or to hear Kyle's hug and to know, I can't know the feeling of the warmth of Kyle's hug. I can't know fully what that means, although I know what he's getting at in that experience. Well, now times that like by a million with all the voices online all the time that you're also shouting back to. And the failure of language, which is a necessary component of language to make communication possible, it becomes excruciating. That failure becomes kind of excruciating. 
<laughs> it becomes very, very painful. Uh, and then add it to the Ukraine, add it to the political, add it to the monetary, add it to the Web3. You're looking for these words to sort of say, we need to do something different. Um, you have a sense that you need to do something different, but then putting it to words feels like you're just going to fall into another label like capitalism, liberalism, conservatism that will get captured by the system and lead to totalitarianism or other problems. But then if you don't give it any sort of words, then you can't talk with other people about what the future should be to try to bring that about. And if we don't try to name the nameless then someone is going to try to nameless if in this context we're talking about the future or the, the different worlds or whatever. And what it's going to end up being is the old guard, someone like a Vladimir Putin who's going to name it the, the nation state, who's going to name it the Soviet Union, or who's going to name it the corporation or name it Amazon. And so precisely at these points where it can feel difficult to have the conversations, both because of the inadequacy of communication the inherent inadequacy, but necessary inadequacy, and because of the real world events that are going on. But it is precisely those real events that will perpetuate and continue to happen if there is not a new naming of the nameless. Um, and figuring out how to do that is difficult. I was, um, it was funny, I guess when I saw the phrase naming of the nameless, um, my wife and I do a lot of creative writing and I, I was trying to do a poem and I, the, the image I had was this um, individual who was standing in a river and he ends up, um, from a lack of water, he ends up dying. So he doesn't drink any water. It's fresh water. He could drink it. And the, the, the idea is that he wouldn't cup any of the water and lift it to his lips because he was afraid of missing out on the river. He was afraid of missing the river. So he didn't cup any of the water and lift it to his lips. And that's the tension. We don't want to miss out on the river. But then if we don't cup anything, then we can't survive. Uh, we can't drink because of the, the great tension. Now, of course, this is the great tension, right? We can't rush too quick. You know, it's like you can't go too slow. If you name something too quick and smack a label on it and say, this is what's going to work. This is what's going to save us. This is the right framing or whatever. Well, a lot of people thought they had the right framing and the world got shredded to pieces and that didn't go so well. But then you also had the flip side where no one wanted to um, name anything. Uh, and, and as a result, nothing was fully called forth or could ever materialize in a manner that people could form a community around, because that's the inadequacy. And so I think the tension for me of framing might be the difference between a name and a label. You know, how do we avoid labeling, but also have names? And I think what's also interesting about names, um, so there's different, if we follow there, I was listening to a, um, a scholar on a Borges story, and I can't remember which one, he was talking about how in Judaism, that um, when Adam is told to name the animals, it's not merely an arbitrary labeling, but he's seeing into the very essence of the entity and naming it according to that entity, which is then a kind of destiny of which is not going to restrict the thing, but be created by that essence that's a living in the name. So the name becomes a direction without becoming a restriction. Um, but then after the Tower of Babel, all anyone could do was label because that perfect language was sort of shattered and everything turned into labels and then words became much more restrictive. It's also curious to note in Judaism that the name for God is writable but not sayable. You know, Y-H-W-H, um, right? So it seems like that's what we're looking for. Something that you can't, you can write maybe, but you can't say or you can say or you can't write. Something that maintains a dialectical tension of open you know, like an open hand, but it can hold something on that hand. So there is a balance there, but you don't want to clutch because then you're choking, right? So, you know, thinking it in terms of names and labels, thinking it of, of terms of cupping a river so that you can drink, and, uh, but, also, but being willing to do that, 
because, because you face the fear of missing out the river. But if you, you know, don't cup anything, you're not going to survive. And also seeing an imperative to carry out this conversation, which certainly needs to perpetuate for a long time. You know, this is something that needs to happen in these kind of communities. There's also an imperative to do it because if, um, because if it is not done, someone else will do it and it will be named according, um, it will be labeled, I suppose, according to the generations of past and the powers that be. Well said. I really like that picture of the man standing in the river and the tension between drinking the water or not. Um, that was beautiful. Um, one of the ways I've been relating to this topic just in the last few days and in relation to the Ukraine stuff as well, is I've, I've watched as I've gone through this cycle of engaging with Ukraine sort of content where initially it's more from this like third person sense-making kind of objective, ooh, can I like see all the different narratives spinning out from this and try to gain deeper insight into not just the particularities of Ukraine, but but also the, the information landscape more broadly. And that's like a particular mode. And at some point after being in that mode, I've run into this place of, I almost feel like that's a too distant way of relating to what's happening, like in and of itself. And there's this like pull towards <clears throat> like a, a deeper honoring and, and empathizing. And can I, can I try to like really tune into the, the truth of like the horrors of what are happening on the ground and sort of like going into that and then sort of like putting that into dialogue with, um, you know, choices I'm making and like the integrity of my own life and sort of like is the weight of the reality of what I know in the world, is that being adequately considered and just like my day to day? And and then that getting like really heavy. And then from there going into this, this something more like the transcendent perspective, which is sort of this, this place can be tuned into or, you know, everything sort of absolutely okay as it is. And that being this almost like cathartic release of the, the weight that had been built up from really tuning into the, the tragedy of it all. And one way I think about the importance of the naming and articulation in general is for integrating these like vastly different modes of relating. Like for so long, these different modes felt like just separate parts of myself <laughs> and, and they weren't really like put into a proper relation with one another. And that creates, you know, internal divisiveness and an inability to actually act with integrity, act as one internally, right? And what I view as like such a great gift in terms of all of these sense-making communities and different discourses that you alluded to, Tim, as like that pocket of dialogue as being the, the best thing I've found at actually being able to sort of tie all these pieces together with articulation in a way that then actually has like direct impact on my ability to feel like I'm integrated internally and thus show up in the world and, and act with integrity. Um, and, and then at the same time, that, that sort of principle seems to just apply fractally, right? As you were alluding to, um, Daniel, where the same thing is true for then me as I become more whole to then create greater holes with you guys, with other people that I'm in dialogue with, and that the, 
the articulation does seem to be a just a crucial part of it. Um, and just another piece I'll, I'll throw in on this general topic that I experienced both with the internal coherence building and the external is that the more the more one tries to name the nameless and get into these sort of like deep territories, it seems the more important a sort of willingness to embrace pluralistic uses of different terminologies and different perspectives around the same topics becomes like even more important as a way of counterbalancing any sort of like gripping onto any particular articulation too strongly. And, and that's something else I also feel is like really great about some of these emergent dialogue spaces is everyone's talking about it in slightly different language and from slightly different places. And that seems to be a counterbalancing to the potential tyrannical nature of, you know, I guess the danger of naming the nameless and, and really trying to do that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just speak very quickly to one of the dangers of naming the nameless. And I think it lines up a little bit with what you mentioned, Daniel, about the difference between naming and labeling, although perhaps it's not exactly the same distinction. Part of the image I have in relation to this is an instance where well, perhaps it's no different point to what is um, made in criticism of imperialism and colonialism and this type of thing. In this analogy to the stream, I imagine being somewhere and living well there, being in touch with it, and perhaps not needing to name some artificial boundary around a particular area to signal to those I'm with that this is ours and that's theirs. It seems throughout human history this has, you know, to use the word invariably, I'm, I'm not educated enough to do so, but, but perhaps almost invariably we seem to have um, named not only ourselves in relationship to land, but have stretched into eventually in the history of a culture, eventually into naming with a sense of ownership, a sense of dividing that which is mine from that which is yours in a way that makes what feels like an artificial cut that can disenable the capacity for shared appreciation for some deeper whole that is actually sustaining of the life in relation to it. Now, I'm not necessarily trying to make a basic argument to say all ownership is therefore wrong based on just these initial remarks, but I, I admit that I do contemplate this deeply and I do find the utter foolish, time-bound, arbitrary, like in some sense deeply outrageous 
sense that we can look out onto the world and call it ours, as in mine, uh, <laughs> for this short amount of time that we're here, and to potentially destroy everything in the name of that, uh, in the name that we've been violated, that our space has been violated. But this is, of course, in tension with the reality that we can be and do often violate each other and the space we're in and a part of, not only the land, but also very much others and their relational space. So, and so there's, there's, a great, there's a great deal of tension here, but one of these dangers then is in this deciding that all of a sudden this particular vital location is called this and this is how we refer to it and maybe there's a whole set of languages and protocols that come about that serve to conform a sense of identity of belonging to this patch of particular land or in the mimetic space identity in general group in a way that presents a or in a way that kind of inserts propagates a kind of um, virus that disenables the capacity to well in a sense do exactly that breathe together to return to breathing together and feel into that which is deeper than the mimetic device used deeper again than that word deeper again than that um, exclusionary device which is that vital source we each participate in and so ultimately there's a call for a deep sort of wisdom in relationship to the power of naming itself that seems critical to cultivate and, and I think there are other dangers as well I hope to have spoken at least somewhat helpfully toward the direction of something that I'm seeing and well, wanting to um, elevate to a place of clarity here with respect to what's at stake. Um, so I, I would love to welcome uh, whether critiques or um, restatements or deepenings or clarifications of what I've expressed there in relation to what's been expressed previously so that we can be sure we are at least gesturing in a, uh, the same direction here. I would also note that it is not necessarily the case. This is what's very tricky. Um, it's not necessarily that names are good and labels are bad. Um, it depends on the relationship to the name. So for example, I, you know, my name is Daniel. All right. And I think in like in the Bible, Daniel means um, judged by God alone. Okay. Well, in one sense, that could be great because you don't worry about what other people think. And if you live up to the um, destiny of that name, you know, judged by God alone, then you don't worry about status anxiety. Maybe you're kind of free from that and so on and so forth. But on another sense, maybe you don't care what other people think. Maybe you're like, well, I, all I got to do is make God happy. So I don't care how I give back to my community. And maybe, you know, worrying about what God thinks drives you crazy. Right. You know, but let's say you said Daniel was an American. All right. So that's more of a label. Right. And I define a label as someone who does um, a nine to five job. They use the U.S. dollar and they have a, a certain corporate position. 
So that can be a problem because then you're not, uh, you know, you're more general, you're, you're kind of falling into the, you're, you're captured maybe Deleuzian by the system. So moving to Daniel might be better than the label, but then based on your relationship to the name, that may not necessarily be good. The, and, and also too, what's very tricky, like if I were to say to you um, that I'm a Hume, like um, I like David Hume, okay? Um, well, what does that mean? Do you think I'm an empiricist now? You know, I would argue that David Hume is big on the lived experience, the common life, right? But that's not an interpretation that a lot of people have of David Hume. So when I get online on the internet and someone's like, oh, that guy's a Humean, I have no control over if that's a name or a label or what that even means. See, the internet really, really um, exacerbates this problem because it shows you that words don't have a stable meaning. And in not having that stability, there's one something good about that because you can never be too sure on what Hume means and you always have to go back to the text and be open to new possibilities of what David Hume means. But it's also nerve wracking because when you put yourself out there and like write something on Hume, you don't know what they're, they're gonna think you're some materialist empiricist, which I think is a very poor reading of David Hume, but I don't have control over what people think on the internet, right? So the hermeneutical divide is exploded. Like it's just crazy. It's like a crazy zone. Really what it seems to be is I almost want to, because I, I, I was thinking about this today. So it's almost like you have label, name, and I almost want to say poem, where there's something about what we have to do like in these communities is a poem, which is uh, much more expansive than a single word. It's a bunch of phrases. It has a structure. Sometimes this, the descriptions don't make sense and you have to read them three times before you get them. There's a complicated interaction of the different phrases and the logic. And it would seem to be that in an internet age, you need something, naming, the, the, the name of the nameless has to be a poem. Can't just be a name, can't be a phrase. It has to be a series of lines that are not merely a statement of facts. Right. Like we can't take the opening of Bert Norton and uh, the bird sings, you know, humanity can't take too much humanity. And there's apparently water coming out of a ray of light. And what in the world is Elliot doing here or notes to a supreme friction? And yet there is an extraordinary truth and power there that precisely the difficulty to, to get what Mr. Elliot is saying is one of the reasons why it avoids capture. Um, and also simultaneously, what's interesting in order to get the poem, people really have like there's a kind of I don't want to say self-selection because it's almost too exclusive. Like you have to care. Like in order to really get the poem, there's already a care element that people have to bring to the community because we're going to sit down and really read this poem to get to where it's at, which is not saying. It, it, and that's how you get a, like a definition without having an exclusion. Because it's not say, like anyone can buy Burton Norton, anyone can buy the four quartets and read it, but to really get it, there has to be a certain level of commitment and a certain level of care and a certain level of respect, all these sort of positive elements to really go into the poem. So it's almost like, as I'm thinking, there's some, it's something label, name, and then poem. But of course, poem, isn't that so, it's almost unsaxed because you have to read a poem, they're long and they're hard. Wouldn't it be great if we could just say Web 3.0? or Daniel, or whatever thing. But to start talking about a poem, it becomes more difficult. But it seems like that is the language I'm thinking about as I'm, as I'm talking, that seems to be something is articulated there. There is sentences, there is structure, but it's a more open-ended kind of articulation, uh, which seems to be a, that Ethan articulated so well on this sort of balancing act. So, I'm, so now it's something like label name poem is something I have in mind. Well, I'll just add, um because there's so much vivid imagery coming through mm. in adding that third piece, the poetic. Mm. It's almost as though, and I'm seeing everything in terms of uh, cycles of life and death at the moment. Mm. So in that kind of poetic spirit, 
it's almost as though naming or labeling in the explicit objective sense is the nutrition that exists out there. The unnameable is that which is not yet born, but gestating. And the poetic is the umbilical, connecting those where it isn't objective, but it isn't unnamed either. And it's seeking to bridge those together without, um, yeah, just without overloading it with too much and without being too constricted. Um, So that's coming up really strongly for me right now. Um, And I think that's really interesting. I like that. Very nice. I'm almost thinking of like a proof of work mechanism where somehow we have to build into the language something that slows the participants down because a name is a sort of information compression. And the more quickly you can reference names, the more likely you are to end up in some sort of simulation that is disembodied or too abstract. And so obviously we could refer to the literal mechanism of proof of work and then maybe work backwards from that and look at how that would show up as a poem or poetry. No, I like that too, because there's also something about a poem um, and I, and I want to say wonderful and I'm on mute because I don't know, I don't want to mess up the audio. I just really like what Tom was saying there. Um, there's something also so fascinating about a poem because the first time you read it, you don't get the deeper meaning. You just get the beauty maybe of the language. But then the second time you read it, you see connections you didn't see before. And then the third time you can start seeing like, oh, wait, that image on the fourth standard goes with the fifth. And, oh, he's talking about how time Oh, that's interesting. He's talking about how time actually the seasons change, but the same seasons happen every time. So there's an element where there's not change in the seasons. Like I'm thinking about a Wallace Stevens poem, for example, and like, oh, and so there's a revisiting element where um, you don't revisit a poem. You only visit it even when you read it again. Uh, so it's kind of changing. And that also, like you're saying, Tom, um, there's there's an element of there's a you have to it slows down the process of entering to make sure there there is a certain level of care. So then if that person enters, there's the care to help hold together, but freely, not by a sort of boom, you're labeled in there, they're stuck. So I think that's that's a beautiful component as well. There's also, if I'm not mistaken, there's something, um, is it called a a non-knowledge proof where you can just see something and know it's true, even though you don't have a non-proof or something. So there's also like, you can look at a poem and know it's a poem, even before you read it, just by seeing it, you know, it's a poem. So you see it, the experience of it, boom, and you know, it's a poem. And yet you can then from there go in. So there's an immediate identification that happens when you see it. And yet that immediate identification does not allow reductionism in that act. Uh, so there's a, there's a doubleness going on there. I'm noticing a tension between, on the one hand, our hectic information landscape might be like an evolutionary pressure to up our game with regard to speaking in the ways that you guys are articulating, which is really cool. Um, And on the other hand, the, the ability for us to sort of read something and have it actually be a part of our own languaging and, and be transmitted to others is largely dependent on how readily how easily 
we can actually understand what's being communicated and and how those like you know it's almost like a even more skillfulness or something is being demanded of us where it not only has to be poetic in certain ways and uncapturable and maybe require a little bit more attention and care and all these good things you mentioned but at the same time like not be too esoteric or too too difficult so as to not really be useful and and integrated into regular discourse yes is a tremendous it's a tremendous challenge and on the one hand one which i do take personally and at the same time recognize just as deeper commitment to the reality that that effort that endeavor ethan is so far beyond what i can take personal responsibility for so we have here in some sense the dynamics of interaction imminently here now lived presence with this is the channel i'm a part of and yet at a level of the unconscious at a level of philosophy and dedication and effort and commitment to others who might not be immediately present we know we might share this there's this whole broader relational context and in the digital world this is something we've also presence that we're in touch with and on the on the side of uh, recognizing the limitations for my individual response to this situation well this is where i think that the hope for an embodiment of a quality of participation in interaction itself um, in some sense i don't know if i want to use the word prior to but at least along with the endeavor toward uh, clarity of of expression when it seeks to name that which must be named in order to um, share a perception of the integrity of the structure that we participate in so as to dignify the other that we are living in the world with so that together we are each and all informed by the best effort we can make to recognize truth as such to share with each other the dignity of our involvement without and if, if we don't do that like we in some sense violate the essence of the species that we are and the essence of the interdependent living process that we are and um so there's a sense of sharing packets of communication and the attempt to do so with a certain kind of um well an in an integrity for the an appreciation and a, for the the language itself um 
Tom, you were mentioning something about uh, proof of work and that kind of thing. I was in my mind struggling to um, totally integrate that in a way I could include the importance I sense you're gesturing at there. But in terms of um, in terms of sharing packets of communication that share a basis in interoperable communication such as we can such that we can trust that the well in this case the language or the system that we're participating in is one that can trade in signal how are we trusting this signal itself it is obviously like a, a really deep a really deep question and important thing to um take into consideration uh to bring this back just momentarily to um the the question you're raising ethan that the challenge like the recognition of not being too lost in esoteric with respect to say too lost to it but not um all of a sudden making the only way for instance to participate in the umbilical cord like relationship that is like imminent poetry as a kind of uh reverence for the sacred right that is always already present here among us that we are each able to perceive if only we can step to the side of our own self-tyrannizing perception or something like this to affirm the beauty that already is all these words i've used necessarily cut off so many from staying exactly with the flow that i'm seeking to be quite literally faithful to right the integrity of my own voice and the strengthening of the connection that i'm seeking to share with respect to language we share and all the rest of it and yet um what i've noticed and what i've noticed is that i i i do trust myself in in conversation with anyone in interaction with anyone of course i could fail but there's a sense in which um the if we if we link a little bit of the of the sort of somewhat you know uh, tongue in cheek way i've referenced a whole bunch of groups of people online seeking to enter into interaction with some said shared sense of values and an effort towards being in the world that might not be subject to the same type of self-terminating flaws that we seem to have evolved into in the cultural context at the very least but we can't ignore the biological element of our own predatory nature for instance well there is this shared intention toward um well it's so there's a there is a grapevine of uh faithful interaction just doing its best and um we can recognize certain tension points in that structure itself that might cause certain certain breakdowns to happen and maybe we can attend to those and in that case we actually are talking about something very esoteric we're trying to have some sort of analysis about this broad fractal and what might be causing some sort of blockage that is some sort of clot in the circulatory system and how to how to um, face and be with and and in some sense invite a kind of generative recommensuration with flow in relation to that but the reality is it seems oftentimes like if we can well i'm so close on the edge here to um 
to not being I just recognize I can't do justice to the I can't quite do justice to the to the the clarity and at the same time the the simplicity of what grounds the interest in any of this conversation at all you know it's enough to say hello and to listen in a way that's really attendant and if we can have some sort of commitment to an um, an open-ended and yet at the same time integrous chain of hands open in that offer and meet exactly the moment we are in with a presence responsive to that touch then well then that's a place to begin i i do here want to bring in um and ask uh tyler to share a little bit of himself i suppose a facet of tyler as it were as it always is um before this continues too much longer because um yeah it would be um it would be beautiful to to hear you how could i say no to that always craft craft your invitations in the way that they're least likely to say no right um so there's something really interesting that goes on when when you're really trying to pay attention to whether or not you're making any sense at all right whatever that feature is inside you like that's doing something it's paying attention to whether or not you're corresponding with some deeper stack of trusts and whatever the tension is between naming and, and nameless, it's, I don't know if it, in weird ways, I see all the different, it was how it's something like the tension between autism and hyperactivity disorder and, and, and like the, the tension between the masculine and the feminine and the tension between the, just the way and the manner in which we process the world. Right? Like, do we want to get a grip on things? We want to gather more and more nouns and adjectives and verbs to better understand how things move in the world and maybe in some sense alleviate suffering? Or do we want to somehow expand what we're looking at and therefore detach ourselves from those things which are suffering? And then there you get the East and the West split, essentially, the materialism and idealism and this endless fracturing so and that seems to always be going on now and so when we come into this space suddenly we're talking about the whole breadth of history and all the state of the world and the fact that there's a potential another world war and, and there's metic crises on the left and on the right and all around us and like what what <laughs> it what is the what is the naming or of the nameless of that right it's not you're not like you're not doing idle, you know, philosophical chit chat around the fire at night. I mean, that 
there's some element of whatever it is that's going on here that's both it's it's a strangely pacifying thing there's something uh satisfactory about engaging in the effort to understand and and to situate good sense of the world but there's also the sense that it's just way too much so it's just way too much and simplification is in fact the way to you know there's there's always reduction to some truer essence rather than some emergent phenomenon and there there you got some more dualities going against each other so i'd like i don't know like i'd like in this moment what could happen in the next second like do we have a is there a sense of that like yes it's just what could happen is i could cut in and i could treat you well or not and i can listen well or not and so we return to the imminence of the quality of interaction and of course there's a ridiculous limitation for what we can communicate with respect to the models and languages we're here bringing to communicate who we are with respect to each other and how much we can in fact conduit in relation to so there's something immensely private about the seven of us the recording button makes this a very interesting phenomenon because how could i possibly be speaking to everyone and yet at the same time to the degree that we can treat each other with integrity here and show the various ways we can move through kinds of impending conflict toward generation and that itself can participate in a larger context which we can talk about at a meta level and a design level and that's maybe not for this conversation that the hope is that can play some role in well in sharing a context for learning and a context for belonging and a context for remembering what it is to be a human being in touch with each other. Yeah. You guys, it feels nice having my rectangles touching yours. It's almost a Kyle hug. See, here's where we've got to have some technology that allows the microphones to not be muted for like the laughter for a bit. Because unfortunately, if this does go out as a podcast, mate, it's just not clear if we're all just like, who the fuck is Tyler, this guy. But that seemed like it was broadly enjoyable for everyone. You need one of those applaud buttons. Or the oh, encore. Yeah, the shows. yeah, 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 yeah. We can also totally. have like a caption that says there was laughter here, you know, when they watch the video. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I, um, there was a bunch of very important things that were said and a kind of overarching question. Um, what is the nature of the skill of improving in music? Okay. Improving music. When you're in the middle of a jam session, you know exactly what you need to do. When the, when the moment arises in the song, if you're, say, on the piano or whatever, but two minutes before that, if someone asked you what you were going to do, you'd have no idea. It would actually literally be unintelligible. It would not be possible. 
And precisely because you could not tell them what you were going to do in five minutes, because you don't know what the guy on the guitar, or the drum is going to do or so on and so forth. Um, it is, um, it will make it, it will make it sound like you have no idea what you're doing because the person's going to ask, Hey, what are you going to do in five minutes in the improvisation? And you'd be like, um, uh, I don't know. And they'd be like, Oh, I guess you're a fake musician because you don't know what you're going to do. Right. And yet when it comes up, there is a skill and there is a logic. And Ethan was pointing out to something quite um, critical. It feels today that there's a certain skill of articulation. There's a certain sort of skill set that seems to be asked of people to handle this incredibly strange um, deluge of information, interactions of diversity, kind of network and all these different things. There was a really important thinker. I think it was really important. His name was Isaiah Berlin. And he was trying to find a middle ground between relativism and kind of uh, fundamentalism. He, you know, he understood that fundamentalism could lead to totalitarianism. All right. So he's a kind of a liberal, but he also has seen where utopian thinking in the liberal has led to um, fascism and uh, the Soviet Union and things like that. But he also understands that relativism can be a problem because there is not enough of a foundation to hold people together. Um, so he's trying to find a middle ground and he talks about what he calls pluralism. And what pluralism is, is a kind of conditionality. Um, and it's where multiple people can face the same information and come to different conclusions that are equally rational. So for example, it's raining today. I decide that means we don't go outside. You decide that you bring an umbrella. Both of those are actually rational responses to the fact that it is raining and yet they are different. Um, you uh, don't mind the rain and in fact enjoy taking a walk outside uh, because you have that personality. Um, you meet the conditions of someone who would want to respond to that situation by taking an umbrella. Uh, because I am of a certain conditionality and personality, I respond to seeing rain outside with it being rational not to go outside. <laughs> there are two different responses based on the how we are conditioned by who we are that impacts our response to the same information that is equally rational. You are not stupid because you go out with an umbrella and I am not stupid because I stay inside. But I could take the step of calling you stupid. Well, now we have a problem, right? And that's what Isaiah Berlin wanted to run in and kind of suggest. He said, no, 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 no. You can have multiple rational responses to the same information that makes space for difference that you don't have a foundation to judge the other person based on because they are of a different conditionality than you. The only way to know that conditionality is relationship, you know, to sort of be in that space when you can kind of, where you can kind of meet them. Um, what's very interesting is before say the 21st century, you know, basically nations didn't have to really worry about pluralism because yeah, they interacted with other nations and people on trade routes. Yeah, there was a little bit, but they really didn't have to worry about massive deep interconnected connectivity with different people. You could say, be a Christian nation, a Hindu nation, an atheist nation, whatever, and you wouldn't ever have your first principles run against very hard, at least. That would make you question everything you believe in. Well, once people started running into one another, there had to be the idea of, okay, how can people be true to their Christianity and yet open to the Hindu without feeling like somehow they're betraying their Christianity in doing that? Um, and that would then extend to the liberal and the conservative or anyone with any first truth claims, right? Well, that's what Isaiah Berlin is quite um, interested in. He wants to say, look, people can have the same experience of the world um, and from their particular conditionality reach equally rational decisions based on that information. That doesn't mean people who think different from you are stupid or that what you think is therefore has nothing to do with the truth. Maybe we're all just dealing with the top of a glacier or something like that, right? Without that sort of what, what Isaiah Berlin understood is if you don't have that space of 
this middle ground between fundamentalism and relativism that he called pluralism, but we may want to call something like um, conditionality, conditionalism, or something like that, because pluralism means something else to different people. He was quite convinced the world would just end up in violence, uh, that the world would, everyone would be at each other's necks, uh, that everything would fall apart, because there was no way, you would either have people that wouldn't have identities and would be overwhelmed by the existential tension of not being able to define themselves, which is the advantage of fundamentalism, um, or you would have people that were so or closed off to the other that they would either have to isolate or kill. So how do you find that middle ground? So conditionality is necessary for relationship. And what I will say is the skill of conditionality is similar to the ability to improvise when you are faced with all the infinite information of the internet and different people to know how to respond to them when you are in it, when you are in the middle of facing that information. We're basically, what a lot of these communities are kind of trying to ask to do is they're kind of asking to know what note they need to play five minutes into the improvisation uh, before that note comes up. It's not possible. All we can do is develop the personality skills, way of relating, way of relating to other people in disposition of conditionality that we know what to do when it arises. And so what these communities need to do, and I think this is the middle ground between like a hard name that then, you know, label or whatever that restricts everyone, is I think these communities have to focus on um, ways, these kind of skills of being, skills of being rather than modes of being, skills of like improvisation, ontological improvisation, almost, um, to where you know how to improvise. Because let me tell you, imp improvisate, and I will tell you, when you do improvisation music, you always are in this weird tension of wondering if you're a real musician, because you can't read sheet music, um, and yet you're able to play this music. Some people think you're more of a musician because you can improvise, but you always have this nervousness because you can't read sheet music. You're not bound by sheet music, but there's also no confirmation that you're a true musician because you can't do this. That's the space we all have to be in. We can't do, because of the internet, it is literally, it's infinite information. It is literally not possible to transpose the internet into sheet music per se. It is literally not possible to, transpos to transposition all of the diversity and difference of the world into sheet music. It is not possible in communities that try are doomed. They are doomed. If we are trying to name the nameless in a sense of where we're transposing it into sheet music, we are doomed. Uh, what we instead need to do is develop skills of improvisation, as I am calling it. So when the nameless presents itself as whatever it will be in experience on the day as it appears that we are able to hit the beat. And if we are not able to hit the beat, then we did not learn what we needed to learn. And so we go back to our communities to gain that. Um, so naming the nameless for me is improving with the nameless to be able to make music that, and I'll also, the last thing I'll say, try to transposition into sheet music and improvisation. You know how freaking hard that is? It's because it's, it's so complex. We would do improvisations for like five hours. And, you know, I remember this one night, we started at eight o'clock and it never stopped until like one in the morning and people came off the streets. I remember Bernard came in playing the drums and different things. It is theoretically possible to transposition all of that into sheet music. Who would want to? I wanted to capture that with a quick quip, but uh, totally inappropriate. But I was thinking that it would be uh, this kind of like poetic freestyle writing of the proliferation of language streams and that 
to judge too soon is to pull back from the cusp where we actually develop those motions towards the horizon. And those communities that are seeking to branch off from those streams which have had much more time to accumulate the latent energy in the landscape through which they run need not frantically seek to draw in similar fashion energy latent within the landscapes by naming it in order to attract others to it and instead go their own way and really cultivate those freestyle capacities. So, um, yeah, that's a very fun turn away from focusing on naming and refocusing on the underlying processes which lead to the capacity to name in the moment rather than uh, the folly of forecasting the name. I want to echo the importance I hear you speaking to Daniel of something like a coherent or integrative pluralism and the centrality of skillfulness or development um, in terms of actually being able to do that and just sort of like tie that back to the, in my experience, like the fluidity required to improv in that way um, involves a certain kind of relationship with identity. And that when we look about how to actually develop the kind of relationship with identity that supports types of humans that could engage in coherent pluralism, that sort of grounds out in the whole conversation around like the religion that's not a religion and the emphasis on practices of all the various types and, and all of that. And, um, and another thing that came to mind was to sort of respond to my own, the tension I presenced earlier between the sort of poetic communication and the, the ease of actually understanding what people are saying. Um, and this is deeply related to what thing to things that you guys have already said, but there's, it does seem like a lot of coherent pluralism is enabled more by like the felt sense of what someone, like where someone's coming from in their expression as much or more as a propositional understanding of what they're actually saying. And that a lot of the, the sort of inherent misunderstanding at the propositional level that will be inevitable from that level of pluralism can be compensated for with a deeper development of oneself to actually, to both express from a place of like deep integrity and sincerity with good faith. And thus, in being able to do that ourselves, we, we learn to better discern when someone else is or is not doing the same thing. And that that's a big part of that actual, that field that can afford the, the different sort of perspectival differences. I'll double echo that because, and also I really appreciate the supporting role that you're stepping into, Ethan. Like if we're going on this whole improvisational like band practice, 
you're amplifying the signal that's coming through in what Daniel's speaking to. And I'd, I'd like to add to that because likewise, I'm very much interested in coming into these communities personally to seek out some sort of apprenticeship of didactism where I can enter into these conversations and really have reflected back for myself a deeper sense of affirmation as to whether or not I'm making sense. Um, and this is in reference to what Tyler was talking about. Whatever that thing is, I would like to look at that thing with peers. And um, yeah, it would, it would be great to um, increase that capacity. And if such a capacity lends itself to my being able to identify less on either end of any duality and more towards whatever we wish to call that central position, be it pluralistic or poetic, I'm down for that. Not to say I'd like to stay in that position either because I wouldn't like to stagnate. I'd like to still go through this process of homeostatic uh, vibration in order that that uh, capacity to go through the whole range of possibilities is constantly expanding, but nevertheless integrated around some sort of core um, openness. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that journey. And also I was, I mean, in, I, th I think in response to what you are asking for in terms of that um, didactic response, what I was in my mind filling in for you in that expression which didn't quite come but i sense is there and in, in it is the um strengthening not only of um enabling the holding of openness of perspective but also the strengthening of capacity to discern which one now right me in this case as a man step forward here i am in relation to you and this for instance this topic right not in a sense of 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 uh of eternal stasis as you were mentioning but nevertheless there's this importance not only to the openness to engage in the total dialectical process in some sense in order to really hear and perhaps also to express the fullness of one's perspective on a particular matter, but to also know when certain expressions are not in fact appropriate given the relational context one is in uh, and, and certainly actions being inappropriate in many instances. I mean, part of the situation obviously and, and here with a nod back to war, in some sense, the strengthening of capacity to be that which can hold its boundaries and hold its dignity, but also to be for the, using a lot of these words like dignity and integrity, as you guys know, these are very important words to me that are often for news so much. But in the case of a relationship, to to be present even as the turn toward violence is warranted, right? And to hold open that responsiveness to choose a direction that is for the possibilities of um, 
let's say, well, people talk about win-win, win-win choices, win-win decisions, you know. Um, but when there are loving options available, you know, more life-enabling options available, um, or not, like there's a, there's a, it's, it's this, it's this dynamic balance, not only of cultivating openness, but also knowing when to close. And, um, I suppose in, in some sense, the feeling that comes to mind is that maybe some sort of stand up comedy or open mic or place in some improvisational context when there's flight time in the mode of failing to land whatever the expression is, as I so often do, that is so critical to developing the strength of capacity and the sovereignty to attend to all that is going on, even as in some sense one is flailing, in order to re-find that place again. And, and that's such a profound context for kind of learning and growth and I feel as though we've created that on many occasions in in conversations we've had in in voicecraft for instance and um, and that as well is like a key part of the role of the listener in some sense it's like to be witness to the uh, flailing but at the same time to be there to step in to help as well it's this delicate balance of not seeking to like solve someone's problems for them precisely and yet at the same time to be totally there in dedication to you know uh well it's it's a direction towards healing rather than trauma for instance but i like the word strength in in general as well but um So I um I noticed that we've been speaking now for a little while and I just want to um perhaps go around in a circle and offer everyone a chance to sh share some closing thoughts. Uh journey we can start with you and then return to you if you like um for to respond to, to where you're at. There's something a bit unnatural about how I'm doing this today in in relevant uh relative to some other sessions we have, because maybe we'll share this and, um, you know, um, it seems like there's something of that medium to be attended to. So yeah, journey, go ahead, mate. Yeah. Thanks. I was going to mention that I'm bouncing out early. Um, but just in response to that, uh, a strong proverb in dance that I subscribe to is crashing to create and being willing to do so. And um, having this youthful innocence in witnessing it where there is no judgment and more so a curiosity as to how the hell did you crash and what was even possible um, as you were crashing and doing so elegantly. So very much uh, in resonance with the unnameable being a perpetually crashing object which hopes to arrive at some unborn horizon but i'm going to bounce out it was uh lovely speaking to you all um good to see you again kyle and ethan would also like to speak to you more tom 
and also to you, Daniel. I'll catch you later, Tim. And Tyler is already on hiatus. So, yeah. Anyway, guys. See you later, brother. Stay well. Good to see you, man. Wonderful. Good to see you. It was a real treat. Good journey. So, we'll leave it open. Maybe we'll save Tyler to the end if he comes back in the next 15, 20 minutes or so. I am curious about Tom and Kyle in particular, what you've been absorbing. And so it would be good to have uh, maybe you guys speak first just so that there's, you know, ample time to voice all that you'd like to, which doesn't have to be much if you don't want to. This conversation's actually come at a really nice time for me. I've had a, a few days of quite heavy affect. And coupled with that, I've really had the sense of not being able to contact the abstractions that I normally use to orient myself. And I've just been paying attention to my experience in this over the last couple of days. And I'll sort of be in a space and I'll have to consider what do I do next. And my mind will kind of head up into the structures that I've created to make sense of and slice up the world. But there's been this sort of um, ambiguity there, almost like they don't quite have the same strength strength to them or shine to them, like they've lost some of their substance. And as I kind of fail to grab onto them, I sort of drop back down into the sea of just presence and not necessarily a peaceful presence, but just a very like intense embodiment, almost feeling kind of childlike in a way. Um, Perhaps there's something about an adult where they're able to navigate reality using constructs, whereas a child is very much just sensing and playing and sort of falling through reality. And it's not so predetermined what the world is for them. Um, But yeah, I've really enjoyed listening here because I've sort of, it's been pushing around a lot of, I've been trying to conceptualize like what, what is language? What is its role? And a lot of the things that have been said have really sort of been pushing the notion of language around in my mind in different ways. Um, I was sort of, I was following a thread where I could sort of see the spectrum between the absolute and then like something super maybe mundane or even profane. And there was sort of the slider where if you go right out to the extreme of the absolute, then language is never going to suffice. And we're sort of using, we talked about using poetry to get at that. And then if you go all the way out the other side, like labels are very sufficient. Like you were sort of saying, Ethan, you don't, if you're trying to buy something at the store, you don't want to have to do this poetic dance to like hand over the money. And, um, but then I kind of came to the place in the middle and the place in the middle feels very relational. Like one side is very like objective. The other side is very infinite, but then in the middle, there's this weird sort of 
its its identity and its relationship. And it's not so much it's not so much using the right words, but it's more about how the words sort of open us to the different qualities in that pluralism. Um, yeah, so I, I think I can leave it there. Maybe just one final note. Um, I, there's something very funny to me about language, like the how two-dimensional it can be sometimes. Even during this conversation, I sort of, when I started contemplating language too much, the language, the meaning of the language would become very transparent and I would sort of fall through it into the person's being, but the meaning of the language kind of wasn't sticking. Um, so yeah, there's, a, there's this weird, like, I guess that's the opacity, transpacity shifting that can be very strange and sort of the way in which a word becomes opaque feels very important. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's it's. Um, I can, I can take the perspective of a listener to this and uh, and appreciate what you've just offered there, Tom. Really, Kyle, mate. I also want to acknowledge that. I also saw like the, the beauty in what you're saying, Tom, all of it. And then especially the, the very end, I would say started merging into what was coming up in me throughout this conversation in my listening, which is kind of the shift or focus on feeling like really feeling with and through language. And it, it's almost like a, just an, a, a reference point for me. Like when I hear, it happens so many times through this conversation, but you know, when, when Daniel, when you were really going on, on the improv and you were speaking to it, it wasn't just what you were saying, it was how you were saying it. And I was just watching both internally, like what it was doing to me. There's a, everything we always hear has some transformative effect on us. We're usually not aware of it. And just to watch the power in what was being transformed. And it wasn't, it was like this simultaneous inner experience of listening yet was multiplied and amplified with this connection I had with, with you and, and your expression and all of it. And there was something about that whole experience all considered that was like, wow, hmm, there's power here and, and like the right kind of power. And it was the same thing, Tim, like when you I'm just going to point as one more example, because there were so many in this conversation, but when you beautifully, like picked up on Tyler's question, I don't know if it was a rhetoric question or not, but it was like, I can interrupt and I can, whatever was expressing through you, the energy of how it felt was just like, wow, like this is, this is a reference point. This is what could be like, and, and all of this that I've been, pointing to just now is enabled by us being here together. The language 
and the experience to build off and to be seen and to, and to build upon what's being said. There's like that, that potentiality of language that, that when you come together with the other and see the other as, as the nameless, that what is spoken is, is more from the nameless. Um, the nameless naming. <laughs> yeah. So there's, I feel very different than when I started this conversation. One thing I'll say is that felt to me as you were speaking, the word trust was there. Something about your discernment that was in a trustful relation with trust, with knowing what to trust in some sense with sensing the integrity in another's expression and how it was treating the whole of what was present. And I think fundamentally what is at stake in the communications commons is the possibility for trustful communication and trustful relations as such. And I think there's lots in what we've touched on and so much more that we haven't mentioned that's a lot more logistical in some sense on the protocol level almost of what it is to enter into relationship. All the things that people listening to this couldn't, well, many of them will have seen because they're part of the network or know us in some sense or um, are in other ways informed. But there will be parts of the process that are also, whether opaque or uh, invisible. And in some sense, therein lies the magic of the opening of possibility for trustful relations, of communication itself, um, such that it becomes, in some sense, granted by the other, by all parties to both um, a you know, listen carefully to the words that are said, but to also listen through them and listen to what's speaking through them and to trust that thing. And so that does strike me as like an interesting um, pragmatic thing to reference, um, maybe for future conversations or in people's considerations about this, to kind of articulate the... Um, stage of entering into interaction itself and um well maybe i'll maybe i'll end there and i suppose i'll make this the closing of my expression for this um and just say thank you all um and i will pass it of course on to ethan daniel and tyler so this isn't just the end just yet but to thank you all and this is very much as well a nod to 
further conversations i think that has to be emphasized yeah so over perhaps to daniel well i i would like to echo what you said uh gratitude to everyone here this has been wonderful and uh, the, the way that you um presence everyone presences the conversation brings it into focus um speaks about it as a gift so um thank you for being you and doing what you do I think one of the things that makes it tricky to talk about um, label, name, and poem, if we use that language here, is that the same object, the same thing, can move between all three relative to different people at different times and different conditionalities. So, for example, I say to you, this is a pen. Okay, this is a label. And I would say to you, this is mom's pen. Now it's more so a name. And then I would say to you, this is mom's last pen. Now we have a poem. Now we have a story, same object. To everyone on planet Earth, basically, this is a pen. They can look at this and go, this is a pen. They know the label. Now to know it's mom's pen, they'd have to know me. They'd have to have a relationship. You know, generally, maybe they're in the community. They can, you know, they, they may have seen mom writing with this and food line or so on and so forth. Um, so you get into a smaller scope. But then if I said to you, this is mom's last pen. So what does that make you feel? You know, how do, how do you feel about that? Can you really feel what that means to me versus what you, you know, you know that's sad, you know that's a tragic thing, but like, this is mom's last pen. Mutt, very deep, this is her last pen. It moves to this deeper place and there's increasingly relationality. And also, so the issue is, all of this will then suggest, if you're the other relating to me, there is a certain skill that is needed to know how to relate to me relative to this pen. You know, for example, if you see it's just a pen, then you have the skill of going, okay, it's just a pen, not a big deal. Don't make a big to-do out of it. Don't focus on it or anything like that. But when you know it's mom's pen, then you would say, oh, well, we need to make sure to get it back to her. Oh, we need to take care of it, right? You know, okay, that's, but if I say it's mom's last pen, the very fact that I said that to you may mean I'm currently in an emotional space where you need to give me space. Or maybe I'm someone when I'm in a sad, you know, in a place like that, I need someone to sit with and not say anything, but I don't, I want you in the room, but I don't want you to say anything. Or maybe I'm someone that I'm going through a sad phase like that. I need someone to speak to, right? Well, the, you, how, how can you know all that? You would have to meet the conditionality of knowing me intimately. And because you're in that conditionality, you therefore develop the skill of knowing how to thus relate appropriately. So as you move from label to name to poem, there are certain skills that become appropriate, if you will, using our arts, I kind of like the term arts, that can only be known in the community. Now, when you come over today at two o'clock, you don't know what I'm gonna say, you know? You don't know, maybe I'm just gonna say, oh, this is a pen, here's a pen, you know, write something down, you take it, whatever. Or I could say, oh, this is mom's pen. And you go, okay. Or I could say, this is mom's last pen. And she died five years ago, but for some reason I'm reminiscing, right? And you go, oh, okay. I didn't know this is how it was going to be, but now I'm going to respond to this. You could not have known that that was what was going to occur until you walked into the house that day at that time, right? So are you able to improvise or not? You don't know the beat in the jazz that's going to come up. You don't know what's going to happen. The question is, do you have the skill 
to appropriately respond in a manner that keeps the music going, that keeps the relationship going, that keeps the community going. I think a lot of times we, you know, one of the problems is people talk about belonging as if it's a pure state. It's, it's an art. You know, communities are arts, art forms, art forms, they form relative to the arts or skills that the people bring to it. When we just talk about relationships as kind of states, oh, we're in relationship. Um, I, I can tell you as a married person and be like, you know, if that's all you have going with your wife, that you have some sort of legal uh, connection, uh, I'll let you guess if that's going to prove adequate. Um, there are certain skills one needs, uh, say knowing, uh, you know, identifying the emotional state of this, identifying what's the appropriate thing to say, identifying what would be helpful in said situations. All of these are skills or quote unquote arts. And I don't mean skills in a kind of utilitarian way. That's why I want to emphasize arts. You know, there's something dancing about this, right? A lot of the new kind of communities that are going to improvise with the nameless per se, or treat the, na the nameless as a poem when it is appropriate, or as a label when it's appropriate, or as a name when it is appropriate, is going to be relative to the, the arts, the skill, the art skills, if you will, um, that these communities engender. And what will be very important for them is to know that and to do that very well and to focus on that and to think in those terms. And for me, the metaphor of jazz is very helpful and I'll close is when you're in a jazz improvisation, I can't think of a single emotional experience that cannot occur in a jazz improvisation. You can feel anger because someone's uh, taking over the improv too long and you're stuck as the anchor and you want to have a chance to do the solo. You can feel sad because you missed your beat. You can feel happy because it's all working together. You can feel flow, every single emotion. And you see, so when you're in improv, let's say, uh, you know, uh, Michael over there is taking the anchor. The anchor is someone who will repeat a few notes and keep repeating it so that someone else can then freestyle improvise, maybe the person on the zitar or something. And then the person on the zitar will take it for the anchor. So the guy on the banjo can, uh, this is a great improv, zitar and banjo, right? I'll tell you. Uh, but someone can sort of take over, right? And the other thing that will happen is I've many times on the piano, I thought Mr. Coleman is going to transition into D and Lord have mercy, he did not. And I transitioned to D and it did not sound good. But you know what? The people didn't stop the improv and look at me and say, you idiot. Everyone kept going. And because they kept going, I was able to quickly in one second change right back to the note. And it's like nothing happened at all. They could have stopped and they could have pointed me out, but they did not because in a relationship, you don't do that to people. And likewise, I'm not going to hog the improv space. I'm going to know I need to become the anchor to make space for the other person at some time. And also, if I see um, Mr. Hansen coming up with his guitar, throwing it over his shoulder and walking up the stairways, I'm not going to go, hey, Hansen, we don't need a guitarist right now. We're going to make space for him because that's what a community does. So you open, you pull back some of the strings so that you can now make the guitarist. You do not know ahead of time that, that Mr. Hansen is going to come up the steps with the guitar. You do not know ahead of time when you are going to be the anchor or when you're going to improvise or what notes you're going to miss, but you know, you know that you're going to make space for the other people, that everyone there has the artfulness to create the overall harmony in music. And what I think is very important is that feeling of flow you get from knowing that they will catch you and you will catch them and together, you'll make something that you could never make alone. Wonderful, wonderful place. And I feel like to, to end it, so I won't say too much. <laughs> um, the, the main thing that was coming to mind was just an honoring of the, the strength and quality of each of your unique expressions 
in our collective improv, as you just articulated so beautifully, and how cool it is that I get to be a part of this. Um, and so thank you guys as for sort of holding that space as I try to figure out how to participate, you know, in, in making music together conversationally. Um, and yeah, just a ton of gratitude and really enjoyed this. I really like to what Kyle pointed out about the intensity of the expressions that that you brought forth at times, Daniel and and Tim and sort of the it felt like there was a like certain notes were being played that aren't often played in these contexts. And as we all get sort of more skillful at it and more comfortable with each other, like these more intense expressions can be expressed and held in a way that's really generative and valuable. And so, yeah, really, really enjoyed this. Thank you, Tim, for organizing and, and everyone else for, for being here. Thank you, Ethan, Tim, Kyle, Tom, Tyler, just wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. And um, I am giving this just a little silence to appreciate Tyler's picture, knowing he'll be looking after his kids right now. And um, good father, good father. Yeah. And um, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And We'll end it here, or maybe not. Maybe I'll just say that this has been a voicecraft conversation, and I think we have resonated forth a real reflection of many dialogues we have and have had with each other over you know, a good stretch of time now. And of course, there are many others who aren't here today and perhaps didn't show up because this one was going to be recorded and maybe shared publicly. Definitely felt their absence as well. So it is, of course, just a partial reflection, but I think a very real one. And so thanks to you all for jumping in to do this as well. It's been an honor getting to know you all. So... There we are. And for those of you who enjoyed this session, we stuck around for another few hours and inadvertently recorded that too. It's available to members of the network and also for patrons at patreon.com voicecraft. Please consider supporting this work if it's something that shares value into your life.